I got a quick word for you today, but I believe God's going to speak something powerful into our lives. So today I want to talk to you about choices. The choices that you make determine the outcome of your life. And like when I say that to you, we probably all know that. Well, yeah, no kidding. Right. The choices that I make. But, but every choice that we make every day, we don't really think about, you know, what I choose to do tomorrow on Monday. All those choices are going to affect the outcome of my life. It determines what direction I'm headed. And I may not go very far tomorrow, right? But I'm, if I'm positioning myself in a certain direction, then by next year, I'm pretty far. So even if I'm just a little bit off, I could be pretty far off course in a year, in two years, in five years, in ten years, like just going to get further and further off. So I want us to start thinking about the choices that we're making and they determine the outcome of your life. But specifically today, I want to show you three choices. It's three things that you can choose that every single one of us in this room can choose and it could change everything. Like it could propel you towards your purpose. You will, if you choose these three things, you will make a difference in the kingdom of God. If you, if you choose these three things, you will look like God. So we're going to start in Matthew 6, 33. I'm going to read you just one verse there. This is, we're going to look at a couple of pretty familiar verses, but I believe we're going to see some, some new things today. This was Jesus talking. And he's talking to the disciples. And look what he says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said, seek and you will find. A scripture where Jesus said, knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. You know you're going to find what you're looking for, good or bad. Positive or negative. Like whatever you're seeking and searching for and positioning your life towards and looking for and hoping for and thinking about, eventually, like you're going to find it. Eventually. So here Jesus is telling the disciples, seek ye first above all else, before everything else. Like it's not that other things are bad, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Righteousness, um, there was a Greek word used there that Jesus used a Greek word there and it was translated righteousness. Um, but that word is what is right, justice, the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards or the right thing. So, so Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or what he says is right. And all of these things will be added unto you. What's Jesus talking about all these things? Well, the parts we didn't read, the few verses before that, the disciples were all talking about food and clothes and housing and just things. Like all the things that we talk about. And Jesus said, if you will seek first the kingdom and let that be your number one priority, then all these other things, they'll be added to you. They'll be given to you. They will follow you. Instead of you focusing your whole life on what, how am I going to get the clothes that I need and the shoes that I need and the food that I need and the house that I need and the car that I want and, the, and all these things. You could, you could focus your whole life on all these things. And then the kingdom can just fall into place somewhere and you can 
not really make a difference and not really leave a legacy or make an impact on the world around you. Or you can focus on all these things first. But Jesus said, there's a lot better way. If you'd focus on the kingdom, then all these things, they'll be added to you. You won't have to worry about it. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. But we spend a lot of time seeking and following after things. Chasing jobs and careers and stuff. Psalms 23 tells us that if we follow the shepherd, then goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. But a lot of times we spend our time following things that were meant to follow us. You see, we were meant to follow God and purpose, to chase our purpose, the purpose that God placed inside of us. And then all the other stuff will follow us. It'll flow. It will be added unto us, Jesus said. Goodness and mercy can follow after me. You know, I've had to learn that my feelings can follow me, but I don't need to follow them. A lot of people just follow their feelings, whatever they feel like. I feel mad. I follow those feelings of being mad and punch somebody in the face. right? Or I, whatever you feel. I feel like having something to drink. I feel like whatever it is, we can all start filling in different blanks. But we were never meant to follow our feelings. Our feelings are supposed to follow us. We, we make a conscious decision. We make choices. Remember we started out about the choices you make. We make choices and then our feelings follow us. We're not, we don't let our feelings determine where we're headed. I don't chase giftings. But as I chase my purpose, my giftings chase me. I realize, oh, that's why God made me good at that. Ah, oh, that's why he had a plan. Oh, I am good at telling stories. There was a purpose. There was a reason. So what's the dream that God placed in your heart? For some of you, it might be really blurry. You know why? Could be because you're far, far away from that dream. You know, distance creates distortion. The further you are away from something, the harder it is to see it. And if you get too far away from it, you can't see it at all. It's not even a vision. It's not in your sights. You can no longer see it. So, so maybe it's really blurry. Maybe it's just because you're far away. Maybe you can't see it right now. Maybe it's impossible. Right? Maybe you can see a dream that you feel like God placed in your heart, but it's just a complete impossibility right now. There's no way that you can make it happen. You don't even have what you need. Maybe it's just impossible. That's okay. You can chase or run after that dream or try to make it happen. Or a career or fame or whatever the goal is. Or you can chase God and the dream, His dream for you, the one that He placed in your heart, it'll follow. You chase after Him. How? Day by day. One day at a time. One step at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. Choose. 
You choose to do the next right thing. You choose to do what's right, to seek justice. Look at Micah 6.8. I want to read you Micah 6.8 in the Message Bible, and then I'm going to read it to you also in the King James because of the wording there. I want you to hear how both of them read. So Micah 6.8. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. Oh, cool. This is pretty simple. Tells us exactly what God's looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. I'm going to read it to you in the King James. You've probably heard this version a lot more I have he hath showed thee O man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee have you ever been there you just want to know like God what is it that you require of me what is it that you want me to do and I'll do it I just need to know what it is that you want me to do God what is it well here it is plainly laid out what what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly to do justly or justice what does that mean to do justice we don't just love justice we don't just believe in justice we don't just hope for justice he said what do you want to do to please God what is it that God requires of his people what do we need to do to look like Christians to be God's people And here the prophet tells us that we're supposed to do justice. You know what that means? Justice has an action. Justice isn't just something that we as Christians are supposed to sit around and talk about. We're supposed to do something about it. When we see that someone's being wronged, we as Christians should step in. We should bring help. We should throw relief. Like That's our job. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's what our God looks like, and we're supposed to be looking more and more like Him as time goes on and as we mature spiritually. So justice has an action. We do justice. It doesn't say that we're supposed to admire justice or even believe in justice. It says to do justice. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. As Christians, we do justice. You can't step back and say, justice is not my responsibility. You see, a man or a woman of integrity does justice. You do the right thing. No matter what. They make the world a better place. Why? Because they act on behalf of others. When you step in and do the right thing, when you step in when someone is being wronged and help them find healing, or when you step in and stop the wrong from being done to them, you see, when you do justice, you make the world a better place for everyone in it. That's what we should look like. Um, that word that was, um, it was translated justly. It's a Hebrew word. And it means justice, judgment, law, regulation, that which is lawful, or the right thing. 
He said, hey, this is what God requires of you. Do the right thing. Don't be a cheater. Don't be doing things that you know are wrong and that go against your moral code. Don't Just do it. Do the right thing. Don't just love what's right or cheer for what's right when someone else does it. No. As God's people, we do justice. And that's a choice. So that's the first choice. I told you I'm giving you three choices. It's a choice to do justice. You choose that. Oh, I think we have, do we have that video, Sarah? This, I think I've played this in church before because it's one of my favorite clips from one of my favorite movies. Hey, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah. Hey, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher, can I talk to you for a second? Back off, coach, if you want to stay in this game. I've got holding on 78 white. What are you... Are you trying to cheat my boys out the game? 15 more yards. Listen, let them play, ref. Let them play. Reasonable. Let them play. Let the boys play. Cheater. Coach, come on. Cheater. Coach. Go, 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 go! Oh, come on! What was that? Oh, what are you playing? That wasn't a hold? Oh, come on! That was such a bad call! Hey, this! I know all about it, Titus. What are you talking about, Bill? You call this game fair, or I'll go to the papers. I don't care if I go down with you. But before God, I swear I'll see every last one of you thrown in jail. You dig your own grave. Defense on me! Okay, Petey, don't you drift to the strong side. Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort, do you hear me? Forget about him! Alan! You're in! Come on! All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night! And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm gonna take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Leave no doubt. Come on, swing it left, swing it left. You gonna make yourself comfortable down there, real comfortable.
You, coach. All right, baby. All right. You brought us here, coach. Run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. If you hadn't seen that movie, go watch it. It's a great movie. Probably one of my top five favorite movies of all time. But doing the right thing costed him the head coaching job and it costed him some relationships but doing the wrong thing would have costed the team and contributed to the evil of racism James 4 17 says anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins you understand what that means James said, if you know to do good, like you know the good that you ought to do and don't do it, that's also a sin. It's not just a sin to go and do something bad or something evil. James, Jesus' brother, is telling us in that verse that we just read is like, if you know some good that you should do and don't do it, it's a sin. Because you didn't step in and do the right thing. Well, I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do anything. James is like, well, that's a sin too. Because you could have done something. Look at Romans 12, 20. Romans 12, 20 says this. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go, that by, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink your generosity will surprise him with goodness don't let evil get the best of you get the best of evil by doing good when it's in your power to help help it's going to cost you but nothing you do for God is a waste of time or effort you know how I know 1 Corinthians 15, 58. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. Think about that. Anything that you do for God, anything that you give to God, anything that you sacrifice for Him or, or just doing what He said to do, you make that choice, it's not a waste. Even if it seems like it's wasted. right? Even if it seems like you're trying to help the same person over and over, is if you're obeying Him and doing what He's told you to do, it's not a waste of time or effort to build the kingdom. Isaiah 1.17 the prophet Isaiah says this, learn to do right. Learn to do right. So he assumes that we, not, we may not know how to do right. right. Because the only time you need to learn something is if you don't know it. The only time you need to learn to do something is if, like, I don't need to learn how to ride a bicycle because I already know how to ride a bicycle. I learned that a long time ago. Just think about that for an example. How did you learn to ride a bicycle? 
or maybe you're so old you don't remember, but you know you learn sometime because you can get on it and ride. I'm sad to say that's kind of where I'm at. I don't really remember when I learned how to ride a bicycle, but I can get on one and ride, so I know I learned at some point, and I know I probably crashed a bunch of times learning how. But you learned it. So, so Isaiah is saying here, learn to do right. Remember that word justice, justly, it means right. Do the right thing. Learn to do right. How many things have you had to learn in your life? I've had to learn a lot. Anybody ever learn how to drive a stick? Most of y'all don't know how to drive a stick, right? Some do. You ever learn how to play an instrument or a sport? What it takes? Hours and hours and hours and hours. Well, how many hours do you have to put in? How long do you have to put in? I mean, they say 10,000 hours of practice to be a professional at something. But honestly, my answer would be, well, how good do you want to be? How many hours do I have to practice to be a good guitar player? Well, how good do you want to be? better you want to be, the more you're going to need to practice and learn to play the guitar or learn to play a sport. Me and Scott talk about this during basketball season a lot. You know how you get better at shooting a basketball? Shoot over and over and over like you have to learn to do it. You don't just get better by sitting around thinking about it. Get better by actually shooting over and over and over and forming that muscle memory and no one's good at it their first time I mean, some people might have a little bit of natural talent or whatever but nobody picks up a guitar and just starts playing it and just happens to be born with knowing all the chords that doesn't happen it's something you learn how do you learn it you get the knowledge and then through discipline, you just force yourself to do it over and over and over and over and over until it becomes natural. You learn how to ride a bike by getting on and pedaling and crashing and maybe somebody's running behind you helping hold it up and then you fall over and you wreck and wreck and, and finally you train your muscles and your body and your brain and everything to balance and work together until you can ride that thing. This is how we learn to do stuff. So here, we're being told, learn to do right. At first, doing right may not feel right. But you do what is right because it is right until it feels right. Like you just keep doing it until doing right becomes second nature. That no matter, you just, it kicks in and you do the right thing. The opportunity's there for you to cheat you don't. When the opportunity's there for you to hurt somebody, you don't. When the opportunity's there for you to get high, you don't. How? You train yourself by doing it over and over and over. You learn to do right and seek justice. Why? Because whatever you seek, you'll find. Jesus said that. You don't hope justice comes to you. You pursue it. You chase after it. The rest of that verse says, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. 
there's one consistent narrative here. Use your power to protect the powerless. Use your strength to bring justice to those that have no justice. You know, I, I think I've used this example before, but like talking about doing the right thing and justice and stuff, there are certain things that there's no gray. There's a line drawn there, right? If there's a little girl standing here, and then you walked in the sanctuary here and there was an adult standing there punching the little kid in the face and beating him up. What do you think the right thing to do is? Turn around and walk away? No. You would stop it, right? I hope. I would jump in as fast as I could and stop it. I don't need to know what was said. I don't need to know your reasons right now or anything else I know it is wrong what I'm seeing and so I'm going to step in and do something about it immediately and step in and stop it if I turn my head and walk away I'm almost as bad as the person doing it because I have the power to do something about it but I'm not willing to because of what it would cost me that's not us. That's not what we look like. It's not who we will be or what we will do. Remember that scene in the movie um, Patriot where Mel Gibson is having a conversation with the woman that he loves and he had avoided war because he knew the violence of war and he knew that it would destroy his soul. But he watched war affect his family, and he had to fight. He was overwhelmed with guilt. And she looked at him and said, you have done nothing wrong. And he said, I have done nothing, and that is wrong. That's what we're talking about. And see, as Christians, we can't just do nothing. You can't tell me that you're walking out the call that God has on your life and you're doing nothing to help people, to contribute, to, to step in, to do the right thing, to serve people, to love people. But we can't do nothing. At what point in time did you stop doing the right thing? At what point in time did you start following your feelings and just going with what feels good or what you felt like doing in the moment? Or has it just been always? Maybe for you it's the next one that's loving mercy. Maybe that's the one that you're having a hard time with. Like you can do the right thing, but you don't love mercy. You kind of love judgment. You know, like, you like to see people get what they deserve. Yeah. You see, because the next one that he said was, do justly and love mercy. So he tells us to do justice. That's something he wants us to do. But then the next one is, he said that we're supposed to love mercy. Guess what? Love is a choice. We know that. We've talked about that. I've preached whole messages about that. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. You choose to love, right? So here we're instructed, that's the second choice 
that makes us look like God and helps us to make an impact and helps us to follow our purposes, that we love mercy. You know, what you love, you start to look like. That's a scientific fact. That's proven. They say that's why people that have had a dog for a long time, they like look like their dog. People that have been married for years and years and years and years. You know, you look at some of these old couples that have been married for a long time and you think, man, were they brother and sister? They look alike. That's a scientific fact that the thing that you love the most, you start to look like it. So here we're being instructed that we're supposed to love mercy. Did you know you build what you love? Whatever it is that you love the most, you build that with your life. You may not be able to tell it in the moment, but if I look back on your life and look at the things that you accomplished and the things that you have and the things that you've done and the people that you've helped and the ministries that you're involved with and everything like that, like, I can tell what you loved. At the end of your life, you know, at your funeral or whatever, we can look at your life and tell, man, he loved this. Spent his whole life trying to get this, trying to build this. Why? Because you look like what you love, you build what you love. And to be honest with you, when I look at my life, sometimes I just do mercy. I don't love it. We're instructed here that we're supposed to love mercy. We don't just do mercy or have a little mercy because we're Christians and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love mercy. Why? Because you start to look like what you love. And what you love, you build. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Anybody need mercy? I do. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. When will they be shown mercy? When they need it. How about when they look in the mirror? Think about it that way. You start to look like what you love. So if you're starting to look like mercy because you've consciously made a choice to love mercy, then that means you're going to start to look like mercy. And over the years, you're just, you're looking like mercy. So when you look in the mirror, guess what? You see mercy. And you began to have mercy not only for the people around you, but you have mercy for yourself. You have mercy for yourself. You're not so hard on yourself. You're not so judgmental because you're starting to look more and more like God. Mercy, I've been giving you the meanings of all these words so far, so I'm going to give you, it was a Hebrew word translated mercy, and it is unfailing love. Remember, this is what we're supposed to love. Unfailing love, loyal love, kindness. As God's people, we love kindness. Goodness is one of the meanings. We love goodness. Favor. Do you love it when someone else is shown favor? When someone else gets an extra dose of favor, and they're the favorite, or, or they get God's favor poured out on their life. Do you love it, or do you get jealous? 
You think, well, why did I get that? Why, why was that given to her? Why would she get that? Because like, we're supposed to love it. That was one of the meanings of the word. We love it when we see goodness and favor. That word also means good deeds. We love good deeds. I love it when I see somebody helping somebody else. I love it when I get to help somebody else. I love it when I get to work around the church and serve. I love it when I see somebody giving to somebody else that I know really needed it. Like as Christians and God's people, we're supposed to love mercy. We love good deeds. We love kindness. We love favor. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. Right? So it's like if you deserve a punishment... Mercy would be you not getting the punishment that you deserve for something that you've done. As God's people, we love mercy. This is how we live it out. We got one more. The last one. We do justice. We love mercy. And walk humbly with thy God. Walk humbly. It's isn't like, oh, he needs to eat a piece of humble pie every now and then. This should be our posture that we would walk humbly with our God. Don't get too big for your britches. Remember where you came from. Remember where you could be. How do we humble ourselves? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, um, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then He will exalt you in due season, in the right time. Like, He will lift you up. But that we're supposed to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. How do I practically do that? How do I humble myself? And if Jesus was our example here on earth, how did Jesus show us and teach us to humble ourselves? This is what it looks like. In a very practical way. Serve people. We serve somebody. That's how Jesus taught us. Through his words. Through his teachings. Through his actions. Even unto the end. When he bent down and he put on a servant's towel. And he washed his disciples feet all the way around the room. Including Judas. Who we know from reading the story. Jesus already knew that Judas was the one that was going to stab him in the back and betray him. And Jesus bent down and washed his feet. And then Jesus kissed him and called him friend. How you doing with that one? What if there's somebody that you know is in the process of stabbing you in the back? Would you be able to kiss them and call them friend and remember the good things about y'all's relationship and to say, hey, you were a friend to me, even though what you're doing right now is really bad and you're really hurting me right now. But I'm going to serve you. I'll wash your feet and I'll help clean the dirt off of you. I'll kiss you and call you a friend. That was our example. That was Jesus. If there's a greater example of humbling yourself, I don't know what it is. Jesus humbled himself. It's our purpose. We're supposed to love God and love people. We talk about that a lot, but 
You know how we love people is we serve. We serve humanity. That's part of our purpose. That's part of our call. That's what we're supposed to look like. As we serve. I'm going to close with one, one verse, um, John 13, 1, because I just pretty much told you the whole story, so now we don't have to read it. Um, this, is the, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper that I just told you about, so we won't read that whole thing and just read one verse. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And then he goes on, it goes on to tell us how he washed their feet and all of that. You see, John, as he wrote this book, this was the disciple John that wrote this book. Jesus' best friend, as he calls himself, the one that Jesus loved and laid around, laid his head on Jesus' chest that night at dinner. Like, he was probably Jesus' best friend. And John wrote this, but John probably wasn't sitting there writing this in the moment, right? They wrote these books of the gospel later. As they remembered what happened, they would write it down. And so they would start writing down these books. So John probably wrote this later. Like, he didn't sit there at the Last Supper writing this down. No, he was involved in what was going on in the conversations and learning how to take communion. And, oh, I forgot. Um... When Jesus bent down and washed the disciples' feet, he told the disciples, follow my example in this. And the only other thing that he told us to do, like to follow his example in, is communion. It is communion, like remember the sacrifice that was paid for you. Remember my blood and my body. And he says, follow my example in this. Serving people. Humbling yourself. Bowing yourself down and washing the lowest part of people. clean the dirt, humble them. But see, when John went back and wrote this, he could see that through it all, Jesus loved them to the very end. You know, hate has an expiration date, but love never ends. Because love is more powerful than death. So what are you trying to say, Pastor? That service positions you for success in the kingdom. Service is the greatest way to humble yourself under the hand of God. Serve somebody. Serve the kingdom. You know, the basin that I just mentioned that says Jesus took a basin full of water and he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. Shortly after that, Jesus was arrested that night and the next day and Jesus was full of anxiety, so much anxiety about what was to come and about the purpose that God had on his life. He was literally sweating drops of blood. You ever had anxiety that bad that blood was coming out your pores? It can happen medically and it happened to Jesus. Right, but Jesus took that basin and he used it to serve people. Now, the same basin is brought up the next day when Jesus is on trial after he's been beaten by the guards and stuff, and they bring him before Pontius Pilate. And the exact, the exact same word, the same thing, 
is used there when Pilate realizes because his wife told him, hey, I had a dream. This man, he is from God. He's a good man. He doesn't deserve punishment. Don't do anything. And then Pontius Pilate had the dream. And so he didn't want to be a part of the crucifixion. So you know what Pilate said? Bring me a basin full of water. Whoa, the same thing that Jesus asked for the night before. You see, but two leaders had the same thing. Both of them had a basin. But you know what Pilate used the basin for? Not to wash anybody's feet and not to humble himself. Pilate used the basin to wash his hands in front of the people to say as a symbol and a sign, I wash my hands of this situation. I want no part of it. I remember how we were talking about when you see the right thing to do and you do nothing. When you wash your hands of a situation, I don't want to get involved in that. That's too messy. But I don't want to try to help him. He's too far gone in his addiction. That's going to be ugly. That could get real messy. Right? Like, he took the same basin that Jesus used to serve people, that Jesus used to humble himself. He used it to wash his hands of the situation and say, no, I can't do that. I don't want to be a part of this. I want to distance myself from this situation. That's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're supposed to look like. Two leaders had the same thing. Jesus focused on why he was here. Pontius Pilate focused on what would happen if he got involved or connected to this or if this really was the man. Or, but, but if he let him go, he would offend the people and he might offend the Jews and then they would be mad at him and overthrow. And he, he got so caught up on what might happen washed his hands of the situation humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you under God's hands the same hands that created man took the nails that would redeem all of mankind. Jesus was all God and all man. Think about that. Those were God's hands that he formed Adam with. In Genesis, those hands got nailed to a cross to redeem all of mankind. So how do we live out the Christian life? How do we look like God? How do we chase purpose every single day? By making these three choices. We do what's right. We choose to love mercy. We choose to walk humbly with our God. We do, we love, we walk. We do, we love, we walk. And how do we walk humbly? Practically, by serving people. This is how we become the hands and feet of God. We do justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. Don't get too big for our britches. I promise if you're choosing those three things, you're going to be walking in purpose. You're going to be making a difference in the lives around you. And as time goes by, you're going to look more and more like God. Let's pray. God, thank you. I thanks for speaking to our hearts and our mind. I thank you that you call all of us your sons and your daughters. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross so that all of us could have a place in your family. 
You paid for everything that we've ever done wrong and that we ever will do wrong, that it's all been taken care of and covered by the blood so that we could be free. God, we thank you for that freedom and we thank you for hope. We thank you for the life that you died for us to live. Give us the strength and the courage. God, give us the faith to step into the future, to create the future that you placed inside of us. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.